There it is. Okay, thanks, Larry. <coughs> I'm sure I was going to say something profound in that 30 seconds or so there, but uh, we'll just skip over that. Today I'm going to conclude our uh, sermon series that we've been doing, Walking by Faith. And I think what we'll do through uh, the next uh, little part of the, the summer is uh, look at some of the characters in the Bible. We'll spend probably just one week on, on different personalities that show up through Scripture and just how they demonstrate uh, faith in their lives. But, uh, but that'll be a different series than, than what we've been doing, take a different approach to it. So we've actually spent about a couple of months uh, looking at this, at the idea of faith and uh, drawing lessons on, on, on faith, applying it to our lives and comparing ourselves to the biblical uh, description of faith. Uh, the lens that we've used to look at this topic has been the moment that Peter and Jesus were walking on the water, as it's described in Matthew, uh, mostly in Matthew chapter 14. But today I want to begin in Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, it was just read for us. And we're going to be emphasizing here uh, verses 8 and 9. I'm not going to uh, exegete the whole whole passage, although that's usually the way I like to study texts, but um, just in, in verses 8 and 9, let me see if I can get those up, ah, that's not working either, uh, Ernest, if you can just click that along for me, so it says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. And so what I want to look at today is the uh, idea of saving faith. Okay? Saving faith. The role that faith plays in our salvation. It says here, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so as you read these words, as we have them, up on the screen there, I hope that you find them inspirational. You know, that, that as you read it, you go, yeah, this is, this is what I want for my life. This is the relationship that I want with God, that God is doing it for me. At the core of our relationship with God is this, um, that, that each of us need rescuing or that each of us need saving. And, and, and that is the foundation, well, one of the, the foundation stones of our relationship with God. We can't rescue ourselves. Only God can save us. And that is grace. Now, if we stop there, we say that we are saved by grace. Okay? Then that, we would say, well, why is there any limit on that? Why doesn't God just save everyone for all time? If God's gracious, what's more gracious than that? And, and so, it, 
That's why the next words are, are vitally important for us, where it says, through faith. Okay, we are saved by grace, which is God's grace, which is God's free gift to us, but it is through faith. Faith is the thing by which we accept God's gift. As we've talked about faith throughout this series, it's often been in the context of Christians who are perhaps going through a difficult time and need faith, need to trust God, need to, to know that God is with us as we go through that difficulty. Or perhaps it means uh, taking a risk that, that because we're followers of God, we have to step out of our boat. We have to take a risk. We have to do something that we're uncomfortable with. But again, faith says knowing that God is with us in doing that. And, and so that is how we have mostly discussed faith as we've gone through uh, the last couple of months. But in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, we have this description of faith doing something that uh, is different. Okay, vitally important, but different. It's not about getting us through a difficulty. It's about accepting the grace that God is giving us. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is essential for our eternal salvation. Now, I want you to notice, though, how Paul, as he writes this, he immediately goes on and says, this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Well, all of it. Right? The salvation is a gift of God, the grace, and even the faith. Okay? We can't take credit for our faith. And, and, and say, well, um, of course I'm being saved because I have great faith. That takes away, undermines, doesn't it, the whole necessity of grace. And so Paul immediately says, um, don't, don't take credit. You're saved, but it's not by works because you shouldn't be able to boast. Even the, the phrase, if we want to say, well, I'm saved because I have faith. Okay? You see, saying I have faith it shouldn't be a statement about ourselves. Right? When we say, I have faith, it's not a, I can have faith in Mickey Mouse, right? That doesn't give me any credit. Oh, Peter, you're a great guy because you have faith in Mickey Mouse, right? My faith is not what's important there. What's important is who I have faith in. I have faith that God will do what he says that he will do. That God can do what he says he will do. That God wants to do what he says that he will do. That God is who he is. That's where my faith is. So when I say, I have faith, it's not about me. It's about God. Otherwise, any my faith, my ideas, come to nothing. At the same time, we recognize that not everyone chooses trust God. That not everyone chooses to believe Jesus. Not everyone chooses to accept rescue. 
faith is the attitude, the belief, the thought process that allows us to trust our eternity to God, to accept Christ's sacrifice and resurrection for our benefit. So I want to examine this idea, this distinction between grace as the gift and faith as the way we receive the gift. I want to examine this uh, in light of our walk on the water. And I love this picture that we, we have up here. Um, okay, my clicker is working now. Uh, this was actually, it's, uh, you can see down in the corner, it's painted by a, a Korean, Christian Korean artist. And it, it's a perspective of Jesus reaching into the water to pull Peter up. And uh, it, it can be, I, the reason I like it is because it could be Jesus reaching through the screen, right, to pull us from wherever it is that, that we're stuck. And so I really like that, that perspective. But when Peter needed rescue, could he do anything about it himself? Right, Peter's been out there walking on the water and we say, oh, that's his faith demonstrated. He's out of the boat walking on the water. He trusts Jesus. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and, oh, he's lost his faith. He's beginning to, to sink. And, and, and usually, I don't know about you, but I picture him sort of getting wet up to his knees. But what if he's wet over his head? Right? What if it's his hand that's reaching up, that, that Jesus has to reach down through the water to pull him? Um, but... What I, I want you to notice, and we're not turning there, but, but what happens when he starts to sink? Okay, in this moment of no faith, as he begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me, to Jesus. And, and actually, we see that then as the expression of faith. In, in the midst of his hardship, at the moment that we want to say, oh, look, he has no faith, he actually expresses faith. Because he says, Lord, save me. He knows that at that moment he can't save himself. Right? He's up to his neck in water. But Jesus can save him despite the storm, despite the wind and the waves, despite the, the lack of surface tension on water for, for humans, Jesus can save him. And so in his faith, he says, Lord, save me. But that was really about it, wasn't it? That was all he could do. Maybe he reached his hand out toward Jesus. But it was only the grace, the love, and the power of Jesus that allowed Peter to be saved in that moment. You see, Jesus was not obligated to rescue him. Right? Jesus could have said, oh, there's a riptide over there. That's too dangerous for me to go in that spot. I'm going to walk around there. What's the point of both of us getting sucked down into that whirlpool? He could have. But because of his grace, because of his love, because of his power, he walks over there and pulls Peter out. And so Peter was hopeless in that moment. It was his faith in Jesus that called out to Jesus. But it was the grace of Jesus, and only the grace of Jesus that saved you see, when Peter got back to the boat, there was no bragging on his part in, 
Oh, you couldn't believe how tightly I gripped his hand. If I hadn't gripped his hand, I think I'd be dead by now. Right? That wasn't the story. The story was that he was helpless and that Jesus rescued him. He was saved by grace through his faith. Now, in my upbringing and perhaps yours, I was taught to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? And it looked something like this. Okay? This one has six steps, which is too many because we know the right number is five. We have five fingers. Um, and so in my upbringing, we didn't have here because by the time you heard that it was here, you'd already heard. So you didn't need to say that one. And, uh, but we started to believe and we went repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully. Okay, and so this is our standard answer to, to what must I do to be saved. And so I, while I accept the importance of each of these, I'm not going to try and say, oh, no, that's, that's not important, that's not relevant. Uh, for a long time, I've had this concern that it doesn't, talk explicitly about what God does. It talks about what we do. And, and what's really interesting is, is that it doesn't talk about grace, about faith. See, if we've just said that we're saved by grace, that we can't do anything, that we're totally dependent upon God to save us, then when we answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Then we have to say, trust in the grace of God. And, and, and I recognize that under the, the section there, believe, it's a lot more than just John 3.16 that we need to believe, right? There's a, a whole lot that in, in reality, perhaps that should be a much bigger block because there's a, a lot of teaching that goes in there. But if we jump to this, without spending sufficient time in that belief, without having a clear understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how it is that we're saved, then I think we sell ourselves, we sell God short. And so we need to be very careful that when we talk about eternal salvation, that we don't talk about it as something that we take credit for. That we don't receive eternal salvation because we're smarter than other people, because we have greater faith than other people, because we're more obedient, or because we're just better than other people. You see, salvation must always be a gift from God a gracious gift from God that we accept through faith in God. And I think often when we discuss our salvation, what we're actually doing, whether we realize it or not, is we're talking about two stages, two kind of separate things. At the moment that we accept God's grace through faith, we accept His rescue. 
We accept His salvation. We acknowledge our dependence upon Him. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, says this, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And, and so this, this verse, I mean, there's, just to unpack it quickly, is that in Christ Jesus, right? that's the, the beginning point, in Christ Jesus, we're made children of God. We've entered into that state of salvation, of relationship with God, adopted by Him. But that happens through faith, through that acceptance of that gift. And then it says, for, okay? So there's a connection here. All of you who were baptized into Christ, that's what started in Christ, have clothed yourself with and so this covering with Christ. So there's the, there is a connection between being baptized and accepting God's gift of grace. But baptism represents our submission to God. It represents His washing away of our sins and guilt. It represents our being joined with Jesus or being clothed with Jesus and adopted into God's family. It represents God declaring that we are righteous despite our sins. But it's not because of anything that we are doing, whether before the waters of baptism, in the waters of baptism, or after the waters of baptism. It's what God does to and for us in that moment as we submit to Him as we accept, faithfully accept, His gift of grace. And so this moment of submission, if you like, reflects the moment of salvation, but it's not, it, it is all about Jesus, not about us, so that none of us can boast. It's not of works. And so picture the moment. You've studied the Gospels. You believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who died for your sins, who rose, giving you hope of, eternal, uh, of salvation and eternal life. You recognize that there's sin in your life and that you need forgiveness. You trust God that He can and He will forgive you because of Jesus' sacrifice. And so you're baptized. God graciously saves you and declares that you are righteous. What happens next? That is stage one. It's all happened. You are saved. You are in Christ. You are right, made righteous, declared righteous. You are adopted. That is a fact. That has happened. And I suspect when we say what happens next is that many of us want to go. In fact, you may remember the last line on that, that list of steps earlier was live faithfully, right? And so now we go and we live a godly life. But let me pose a question for you to consider. And I want to ask you this, how godly is godly enough? How faithfully is faithfully enough? Because if Jesus is the gold standard, right? Jesus is 100% perfection. That He lives a life without sin. And I am supposed to live faithfully 
as a, if it's as a step of salvation, then how faithfully do I need to live? What if I live, is it okay to live 50% of Jesus? Or do I have to live 51? Or do I have to get an A? What's that? 80? 90? Okay. Do I have to get an A? Is a B good enough? I'm hanging out at the 80s. Okay, is 80 a B? Okay. I don't know what 90 is. Okay, so we're at, is is 80 going to be good enough for, for Jesus? 80% 80% of Jesus, good enough for me to be saved, to live faithfully, to meet that criteria. What if it's only 10%? What if I've done all that stuff that, that we talked about, that I've submitted to Jesus, that, that I've accepted his salvation? My life is hard and I'm only about 10% of Jesus' perfection. Is that enough? Now, I don't even know how we come up with these numbers. But somehow I think we have ideas in our head for what it means to live faithfully. And usually we we recognize it's so much easier to give other people a score. I don't know if you've noticed that. But we all want to be the teacher and grade the class. We we, we don't like being the teacher when the principal comes around to grade the teacher. And, And so... What is the number? Because what we're saying is that if living faithfully is part of the steps of salvation, that there's a minimum level that we have to meet. And there are some people who are going to say, well, what's that minimum? Because I don't want to do any more than that. I've been around a lot of people who have accepted God's gracious gift through faith but still worry about their salvation we'll still say things like I'm hopeful wishful, optimistic that I'll spend eternity with God so why is that? it's my observation that many Christians view baptism, view that moment of submitting to God as a starting point of their salvation. Not the accomplishment of their salvation, but the starting point of their salvation. So it looks something like this. I've been baptized. I've begun a journey. And I have to, the goal of my journey is to get closer to God. And the closer I get to God, the more secure my salvation is. And the way that I move closer to God is by eradicating sin from my life so that I can be as much like Jesus, as close to that perfection that he achieved as he demonstrated as possible. But what we don't realize is that when we we ask these questions about how faithful, how godly do I need to be, when we picture our relationship with God, something like this is baptism, a beginning point that we, we continue to move towards. That we're actually making our salvation our responsibility. Because if I don't accomplish enough, if I don't achieve a level of faithfulness or holiness or godliness, 
whatever the word we want to use there is, if I don't get high enough, then maybe I won't be saved. And I want to assure you today that our salvation was taken care of at the cross. That, that, that Jesus took care of that. That we're not earning or working or attempting to achieve our salvation. Because we receive that through grace, by faith. We have that. We can take it to the bank. Now, I don't have time in one sermon to cover all of the possible questions on this topic. The idea of being saved by grace through faith was one of the key moments in Martin Luther's move away from Catholicism. The Protestant Reformation carried on for several hundred years. There were a lot of questions asked in that time. Okay? So I'm not going to answer them all today. But I want us to see the second stage. Not as becoming more saved, but as becoming more like God. Being formed more into His image. And so Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we have on the screen there, says that our true worship, right? True worship is being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that testing and approving and understanding what God's will is. It, it's giving ourselves to Him, our, our bodies, our lives, ourselves. But we do this because of what God has done for us. We, we do this because of the gift that He's given to us. Not in order to receive the gift that we want Him to give us. And so, we submit our lives to become like Him. Adopting His values. Pleasing Him. And our lives do change. There is no doubt that before that moment of submission to God and after that moment of submission, our lives can go through a radical change. Not to be more sure of our salvation, but because we love God more and more. Certainly, as I said before, it's possible for someone at this point to, to turn around and to head the other direction, to head away from God, to say, no, I don't want anything more to do with this. That, that's a choice that people can make. But as long as we're facing towards God, as we're moving in that direction, as our, we're submitting to Him, we're, we're attracted to Him, we're, we want to live for Him, we have faith. This is what we mean by living by faith. Then we remain same because jesus has taken care of that by grace and so of course i think the reason perhaps that we worry about our own salvation sometimes maybe it's because we don't understand how things work but maybe it's because we're relying on our efforts because if i have to rely on my efforts to rescue myself then yeah i'm worried but if i'm relying on jesus to rescue me, then I shouldn't have any concerns. 
the New Testament writers several times turned to the book of Habakkuk to describe their relationship, uh, to describe the relationship between God's saving grace and the life of faith. I'll put this, actually I don't think I have it up. Yeah, I do. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, and uh, see the enemy is puffed up, his desire is not upright, and then it has the contrast. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And it's amazing to me how you can read a long passage. If you read Habakkuk chapter 2, it's quite likely the, the last line there would not jump out at you. But for the New Testament writers, they honed in on it and became a very important statement. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness in contrast to the ungodly person. And you can see these three passages. It's hard to see on that screen, isn't it? I'm sorry. But uh, the yellow there, it says the righteous will live by faith whether it be in Romans 1, Galatians 3, or Hebrews chapter 10. And so the reason I put this up is, is that we see particularly in Hebrews 10, um, and we've been around Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, talking about faith uh, uh, as one of our primary texts. It says here, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So there is this sense that faith keeps us moving forward, keeps us moving towards God. But we live by faith. And, and so the righteous, the people who've been made righteous by God, the children of God, the saved, the Christians, all referring to the same group of people, referring to us, will live by faith because of what God has done. We'll keep moving towards him, becoming like him, and faithfully trusting him. And I think this is a key point, is that we'll do it at our own rate, in our own circumstances. There is no six-month, 12-month, 10-year plan for where we're going to be in our faith development. And, and so it, it is certainly true that there are mature Christians, uh, Im immature Christians, and mature Christians. Paul talks about those who are only ready to, absorb, uh, to consume milk. And he says you should be ready to eat meat and to understand the more complex things about God and, and to, to live out in the way you express your, your faith and your beliefs. And, and so there is a spectrum. But the spectrum is of people who are saved. Not of people who are trying to be saved. That, that, that's not that the immature Christians are barely saved and the ones who are mature are very saved, they're all saved the same amount because there's only saved and not saved. And, and sometimes we, we get that confused. And so we grow in our faith. Not in our salvation, but in our faith. In our own circumstances. And at our own rates. If you have previously accepted God's gift of grace in Jesus through faith. Let me ask you a question. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, where do you find peace about your salvation? Are you assured of your salvation because you can list the good works that you performed that day? Or maybe on the other hand, because you have just said the correct prayer of repentance. 
to take care of everything that you did wrong that day. And you can sleep in peace, provided you don't have any sinful thoughts before you nod off. Or, are you at peace because you boast only in Christ? And because you know that your flesh, your body, is too deficient to sustain any other kind of boast before God. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Paul closed his letter to the Galatians saying, in chapter 6 and verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to close today with another quote from Galatians. This time from chapter 5, verse 6, and I hate that I'm, I'm taking it out of context again, but I think it's a, an important summary for us. It says, as Paul gets to the end of this discussion about freedom in Christ, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our faith, our commitment to God expressing itself through love to God, to neighbors, to one another, and even to enemies. A love that can only be sustained through faith. And so if you have never accepted God's gift of grace, if you've never trusted your life and future to God, if you've never joined yourself to Jesus, then I encourage you to start that journey. Get to know Jesus. Understand what it's all about. And please, talk to myself. Talk to someone else that you trust about what it means for you to live a life of faith and to experience the gift of God's grace. Peter, I want to thank you for, for that message. And Peter spent the past few weeks talking about